Hi, this is David Nichols. I'm CEO at Loop. And to me, automation is, why would we do something that a robot could do for us? Uh, welcome to today's episode of This is Automation. Today we have a special guest um, remote. We have David Nichols. How's it going, David? Hello, hello. Um, so I guess to uh, get us kicked off in the uh, right direction, uh, we can start how we always do. And just, uh, David, if you can, give us a quick introduction to who you are and kind of your relationship with uh, BNR. I know before we hit record, you were telling me about writing cam automats in 2005 in, in your apartment. Um, so I don't know how far back you want to go, but you, you apparently go back pretty far. We'll go back all the way to the beginning. No, and not that far compared to some people that I know who, whose names I won't mention. I don't want to make them feel old. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, my name is David Nichols. I'm the, the CEO of a company, Loop. That's L-O-U-P-E, like the small magnifying glass. Uh, we're the BNR partner for a lot of the West Coast, so Northern California, Oregon, and Washington. And I've been working with BNR, as we've said, for quite a while now. Um, I initially got introduced to BNR as it was working for a, another automation distribution company uh, called Pacmation. It was back in 2004 or 2005, 2006. Uh, one of the products that Pacmation started working with was BNR. And I was really interested in learning about BNR because the reason that I had gotten into automation in the first place was because I was really interested in software. I was really interested in what computers were capable of doing and scripting things and programming things. And automation was just the coolest way to do that because when you ran your code or when you hit enter, you didn't just see a bunch of uh, pixels fly by on your screen, but something happened in the physical world. That was what really hooked me uh, about automation. And so anyway, coming from that software background, even back then, you know, and I think we're still proud of that and still talk about it a lot today, you know, BNR as a, as a software development platform, BNR as a software capability was always uh, really distinctive and really powerful. And that was what, what got me hooked on it um, even back then. So that's, that's how I got into Automation Studio, you know, version two point something. It's come a long way in that time, but uh, that it's, it's kind of maintained that, that power and, and something that, that's something we've really taken advantage of over the years and, and people really appreciate uh, when we work together. Nice. So I wanted to talk today kind of just in general about automation um, and then a little bit about how Loop works and some of the stuff that you guys work on because um, I know there's some, some neat stuff that you guys are involved in and then just more about how you see BNR fit into the automation market and, and kind of what makes mm -hmm. BNR special in your opinion. Um, but mm -hmm. I guess before we dive too much into that, um, you mentioned that Loop is, is a partner with BNR. So um, maybe could you just give us a quick intro to, to Loop and, you know, your business philosophy and, yeah, just a little bit about you guys. Yeah, sure. So we've been thinking a lot about that. Uh, I think um, the core of our company and, and kind of our opinions and what, what we're excited about I'd say has been very consistent and reliable for the last 15 years or so, or 12 years since we founded the company in 2007. Uh, but we, we, we've always been engineers, so we weren't very good at describing what that was. Uh, and I've learned in the meantime that there are people called professional communicators. They're called marketing <laughs> people. <laughs> and they can take uh, all those things that we hand wave about and 
are excited about and put that into words and images and and ways of describing what you do that are really powerful so um, our company is called loop uh, that's a new name for our company as of about six months ago and I'd say the the purpose of our company the mission of our company what we're all here to do and what we're excited about is really uh, revolutionizing what's going on with machines and there's a lot of trends there's a lot of uh, new possibilities. There's a lot of changes in technology recently and over the last 200 years that uh, we think are really awesome and positive for humanity. And, and so we want to help push push the boundaries of that and kind of help make new things possible. Yeah, for sure. I, th I think uh, BNR has a, a similar mission. So it's, yeah. a, you know, uh, I think we're aligned very well in that way. Um, mm -hmm. Could you talk about like, what does a average customer look like for you? Um, and mm -hmm. um, you know, within that, what does the average project look like? I know I've seen some things on social media you guys are doing with some um, um, like videographers and things like that with robotics. Mm -hmm. um, could you just yeah. talk a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's not a coincidence that we work with BNR because the product and the company have, we share that worldview we share those values with BNR that's why we're mm -hmm. that's why we started working with BNR in the first place so um, that's definitely something that, that we have in common that's that's not an accident and I would say the similar thing about our customers so if you if you look at my, my description of what BNR is is you know going back decades now is that BNR is a company that provides controllers and, and automation technology for machines where the technology the machine is really what's important about it right there's there's different ways companies can be strong uh, sometimes they can be strong because they have uh, you know really powerful sales channels really powerful marketing capabilities uh, when when I think about a BNR customer I I think about a, a customer usually an equipment builder a company that makes machines as their business an OEM that and that that company really distinguishes themselves on you know our machines have the best technology in the world uh, and and that's what's great about them that's what that's why people buy them that's why that's why those companies are successful is 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 by being innovative and being really capable uh, in terms of the technology and the machines and so um, when I think about specific examples uh, you know, sort of profile what's what's great in both our customers and BNR customers. Uh, there are companies that are like that, and they're that's because they hit throughput numbers or scalability numbers that are just untouchable. So, when you think about um, like a company that makes like bottling machines, you think about some of the, the biggest bottling machines and biggest bottling equipment builders in the world. You think about these huge turrets; they're moving, you know tens of thousands of units per hour through these machines and you really need incredible technology to be able to achieve that and uh, and do it well and do it reliably and and uh, that's something that it, a lot of in a lot of cases with our customers that's that's the case as well you know and it doesn't always have to be um, high performance uh, you know we're but it's there's there's always some techno technology leverage that's that's being put to work. You know, uh, we also work with companies that work in secondary packaging, which if you don't know what that is, that's the end of the packaging line. It's really it tends to be slower. It's maybe you're stacking boxes up or maybe you're putting things in boxes. It's not the it's not what's considered the comp like complicated or high speed part of the line. There's still a huge opportunity for 
technology to have an impact in those cases and and even even equipment builders who make their machines completely out of you know bent sheet metal and you know stuff that would otherwise be considered dumb uh, you can make a great machine and bring great technology to that machine and and you know use the benefits of the BNR platform even on these machines that would otherwise you know otherwise people wouldn't think of as you know um, you know, super sophisticated or or super high end. There's still a way to make a great machine with uh, that's you know technology, uh, where technology is really the the key piece of it uh, in those in those contexts as well. So that's what I feel. Maybe that's a long answer, but that's what I feel like is is in common with the BNR customer and people that we typically work with. So mm-hmm. um, and and in, that's in industries like yeah packaging and aerospace, uh, people that are making computer chips or equipment for making computer chips, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, so you mentioned kind of at the, the top of the episode that Loop is a partner for BNR, mm-hmm. and um, I know like distribution partners is kind of a, a common term in the industry, but I think the the relationship that BNR has with with our partners is a little bit different, um, and the expectations may not be exactly uh, what, what people think of when they hear partner. So, um, could you talk about that a little bit and, and kind of how that's different from from the rest of the market? Yeah, sure. Par- partner, I think, is a term that's chosen because if you say distributor, people think of a warehouse where there's a bunch of boxes on the shelves. And mm-hmm. obviously, in the BNR channel, there there are such places, but it doesn't really encapsulate what the relationship is between both either our company Loop and BNR or our two companies and and our customers. And and I think the big difference is the sense of collaboration, the sense of um, we're working together on something that, if it's successful, is going to help our companies grow really a lot, and, and amazing things are going to happen. We're bringing pieces to the table, whether that's technology or capability, or maybe there's some, you know, programming skills or some other integration aspect where where we we have a contribution to make. But um, without uh, people on the equipment side saying, hey, there's a great opportunity here if we can figure out a packaging machine to be able to do this. That's something where we're starting really from the white, uh, whiteboard or we're starting from uh, that vision in, you know, I, I guess one way to say it when we're talking with people is they know their industry and they know their field, they know their process so well, um, but we know all these aspects of technology and software and, and capability. And when you put that together, when you can overlap that, um, really amazing things are possible. So it's it goes much deeper than just a, a supplier or someone who, uh, you know, you give us a purchase order and we fulfill, you know, on time and at a good price or whatever. That That's what people think of when they think of a distribution company. Um, but but it's really much deeper than that for us. Um, both with BNR and, and with our customers, it's uh, really deeply collaborative, um, and and so you know we we got to come up with different words to describe that other than distribution. So maybe shifting the the conversation a little bit to automation in general, it's um, you know you've, you've kind of already touched on it. It's it can be really technically complex. You need knowledge of both the control side and the automation side, as well as that specific process, and that's where that you know partnership with the customers. Uh, comes in. Um, so I think a, a lot of things are changing in the market right now um, as far as new technologies that are coming out. We're, we're making, you mentioned, you know, 200 years ago, that the difference from 200 years ago to now is, is maybe what we'll see from now to, you know, 20 years in the future just because of the rate at which technology mm-hmm. is changing and the, the, the rate at which automation is being adopted. So um, 
Where do you see automation making the biggest impacts right now? I think it's a really interesting time for automation uh, because, and, and what immediately pops to mind is this quote from Mark Andreessen, who's a, a partner of big venture capitalist, very successful. He also was part of the founding team of Netscape. And his he he has this shorthand for saying software is eating the world, uh, which you know, it's, it's a little menacing <laughs> a little bit, but <laughs> the fact is computing and, and the power, you know, all of these aspects of technology, the, these are things that are changing extremely rapidly. They're, they're impacting the world in, in really incredible ways, uh, both positive and negative. Um, and that's filtering into in the industrial world uh, in, in some of the same ways. So it's it has an impact literally everywhere and if i if i go down the list of projects and the things that we're talking people with um you have everything from you know uh, like i mentioned agriculture right like how do we feed the entire world like automation and robotics and software has a huge role to play in the future of that uh we're working on on there's areas of construction so what a where do houses come from? <laughs> Currently, they're they're built by hand uh, by people on site. So, mm -hmm. is that what that looks like for the future? And so, these these are these are things that you're talking about fundamental human needs uh, in terms of material providing in in a material way. Um, these are all places where where automation has an impact. So, I, I think literally everywhere you look, um, there there's some there's some way that automation is is going to be is going to be touching it. In fact. The short, the other shorthand way to say that is, if you look around you, um, literally every physical thing around you, uh, there's often a story of machines that about how it got to you, right? Everything comes from machines, um, and so if you look at, you know, a pen on your desk, or you look at, you know, your shoes, or whatever, you, you can just imagine the army of machines that, mm. that you know, and and people as well, like. Uh, no, no doubt about that. But like, um, and that's not something that people really are typically exposed to or even think about. But um, it, it's it's all around them everywhere they go. So that's, I think, uh, not to go super uh, abstract on that. But mm -hmm. uh, machines and production technology has a, has a huge role to play in in the lives of people and uh, alternative energy and other ways of of uh, you know, it's just it's in everything. Um, and so that's what's really cool about what we do. We get to get involved in all those different things and um, hopefully, you know, make the world a better place by, uh, by, by improving that. Yeah, I know you, it's probably no surprise to, to anybody listening, but I know, I think before I was, you know, working with BNR and really understood how, um, like, you know, even OEMs, that there even were companies making machines, I think. Yeah. Kind of my preconceived notion is, okay, Coca-Cola makes Coke, so they make the bottles and the caps and the labels and right. they put it all together right. and, and they, they give me Coke, right? But, you know, it's like, I had the same, I had the same set of assumptions. Yeah. yeah so, or, like, you know, it's, 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 it's not like you really think about it. It's just mm -hmm. like, well, then I, I go to the store and there's Coke there. So mm -hmm. like, I don't even think about where it comes from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this, this is, I think, uh, working with, with OEM customers and, and even the, you know, the manufacturing facilities directly has given me a, a really unique, um, and maybe different perspective on, on just like the global supply chain. Like you're saying, you know, you look at a pen on your desk and, you know, there's probably a machine that does the injection molded plastic parts and there's yeah. a machine that mm -hmm. does the mixing for the inks and there's, you know, some, uh, you know, metal forming machine that does the clip, um, you know, so on mm -hmm. and so forth. So, mm -hmm. uh, there's so much involved and, and, um, 
you know, and the supply chain of that is, is, is just, you know, beautiful in a way, I think. It's invisible uh, to most people. In fact, yeah. the, the cocktail party answer of, you know, so what do you do? I mean, and normally I would just say robots, basically. Although <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not exactly the case always, but um, sometimes I would say, uh, so there's these big buildings where everything comes from called factories. <laughs> That's like the, the start. Starting, let's start there. Uh, inside the factory, there's a lot of machines, you know, so like, and mm -hmm. I, I would have the same, I would have the same expression where you don't necessarily think, uh, yeah, Coke would be a good example of Coke doesn't make bottling machines. Coke doesn't make the mm -hmm. machines that make the plastic that makes the mold. You know, there's a whole world of, of, of machines behind that. And if you look at something like an iPhone, it's even more, you need to sort of fly through that thing in your mind and think of all the little chips and all the circuit boards and all the plastics and materials and all those things come from lots and lots of machines. Uh, it just is not something that most people uh, typically have direct experience with. So it's, it's fun, but it's fun to work on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. The range of opportunities that we, we get to be involved with um, mm -hmm. the different markets, but working with these OEM customers, what are you seeing you know, them driving for on their next generation machines. And obviously that, you know, trickles up from the, the end user. Um, but, but where do you see them, them going in the future? My, my personal bias on that question about what's, what's the opportunity? How do you say that really succinctly to me is, uh, is your machine made of software? Because a lot of machines are made of bicycle parts. Uh, and they could have been built that way 100 years ago. And that's fine, uh, but there are a lot of new capabilities that come from software that if you can really say with a straight face, and that's really what powers our machine, that's really the material of our machines is that is is software. That that to me is, is something that a lot of cutting edge equipment builders are thinking about. And there's different shorthand ways of saying that, uh, you know, the industry 4.0 is a branding or an umbrella term for a lot of the ways in which software can contribute to manufacturing. And so thinking about smaller batch sizes, thinking about how to make the equipment more flexible and instead of being purely mechanical, uh, that those are all, those are all things that I think the the sort of leading edge equipment builders are are thinking about these days because that's where a lot of the a lot of the new opportunities are and I I, I don't discount all, any of the mechanical aspects as well because obviously they're they're so tightly coupled together but um, when you can bring software into your machines there's there's a lot of a lot of capability that's that's come about in the last. 10, 20, 30 years that um, where there's really new opportunities and companies that do that, I think are in a, in a good position to grow and the world is changing because of software. Let's talk a little bit about robotics, which is something I know that, um, you know, with, with the ABB acquisition, BNR is getting more involved in, and I know that's something that Loop has, has definitely been involved in. Um, so, mm -hmm. so what kind of, you know, problems are you, um, you know, solving with robotics that maybe, you know, you weren't able to before? And like, where do you see the, the market headed um, with, with robotics? Sure. I, I can tell you one of the really 
interesting things about robotics and uh, I should define what the term is if you when when we use the term robotics we tend to be talking about what you would see in a car commercial where it's a six axis arm it's throwing sparks everywhere because it's welding automotive body panels together and if you look at the history of that type of device that kind of robot thousands and thousands and thousands of them have been built for the mostly for the automotive industry and any of the robot suppliers you can look at their charts and you can look at their internal marketing and that's that's basically where they come from it's a legacy of it and so they're really good at doing that if you need to weld sheet metal panels together boy there are so many great robots for you to use um, but if you try to get them to do other things there can be some limitations they're not that great at doing uh, and I'm speaking broadly here tasks that are more flexible or not quite as repeatable as go exactly to this point and pinch together and weld and then do that over and over and over again exactly the same way um, but the interesting thing is because they those robots are built thousands at a time for what they're capable of mechanically, they tend to be really inexpensive. And so if you take the robot and you are able to inject a bunch of new software to give it an entirely new brain, then you can do some really powerful things because the they're 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 basically lying around waiting to be used for that purpose. And and so if you can augment them with other sensors, if you can make the software of them more flexible, if you can make them able to consume information from different vision systems or other sensing systems or spatial systems to make them more accurate, to make them better aligned in terms of process, to get them so that they can be more precise in time and space. There's a lot of new things that you can do with that robot besides weld auto body panels together. And so that's been a big theme of our company in the last handful of years is is using those robots, uh, kind of lobotomizing them or giving them a lot of new software capabilities so that they can be more responsive to what a machine needs to be or they can be more tightly integrated into a machine um, so that they can do new things. Um, and because of that interesting cost dynamic with them being readily available, uh, it's there's a lot of new opportunities. And so you find robots kind of uh, finding their way into all of these new applications where they weren't used before um, and there's examples in in e-commerce in agriculture in agriculture uh, in packaging where the process flexibility and the software that you're bringing to bear to make that robot behave versus just run a routine uh, that's that's something that is really cool and there are people you know people that see that or people that we get excited about that um, we've we've had some some awesome projects and we've we've worked that there's there are examples in in aerospace where you take a off the shelf robot put a bunch of new sensors on it do a bunch of spatial mapping to it and all of a sudden it can drill holes super precisely I guess precisely enough that they could be used for airplane and aerospace manufacturing so that's that would be an example that you can look to and there's some really inspiring companies that have have work that they talk about publicly like I'm a big fan and appreciator of what what Electro Impact does, and uh, other companies like that. If you haven't seen them do that, they're they're taking these robots and using them in new contexts all 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 the time. And there's, I, I don't see that slowing down. In fact, I see that increasing 
over the next handful of years. So um, we're pretty excited to, to learn a lot about how to take those robots and, and do new things with them. Yeah. You said something I, I want to circle back on um, about robots not being good at things that aren't repetitive, you know, point to point mm -hmm. movements. Um, but, mm -hmm. but first, I wanted to ask you about, you know, what, what's your opinion on collaborative robots? Is that something, you know, it's, it's one of those buzzwords. You mentioned Industry 4.0, collaborative robotics. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that people get really excited about. I mean, is, is your opinion that collab collaborative robotics is, you know, a new generation of robotics? Or is it just, you know, another product that's going to kind of find its niche and then it'll be a part of a broader, you know, automation solution? Sure. Uh, well, I love a good buzzword, even though I also <laughs> roll my eyes at them in a really, really hard way. It's almost like a meme, you know, and people, when new things come out, they get excited, people get excited about it. And, mm -hmm. and, and we're excited about it, too. Um, when it comes to collaborative robots, I think there's two ways to think about that. And I guess I'll just these are my labels. I, I don't mm -hmm. know if anybody else agrees with me, but but when you talk about a collaborative robot, there's some robots, um, and and ABB makes robots like this. Um, but I, I have to say, you know, um, setting our ABB association aside, I think when people think about collaborative robots, they're thinking about like a universal, yep, like a robot that has like a low enough payload, it can't necessarily hurt you. It if it bumps into you, it will stop, and you can teach it in these very um, human ways mm -hmm. and when you when you talk when you go and read about how new technologies uh, come to take over the whole world a lot of times it it looks like that uh, because it's a toy and its payloads are really low and you know it can hardly do what my robot does and anytime you hear that uh, you should be very afraid <laughs> because <laughs> those that's where technologies come from that that uh, end up you know, going up that curve and, and becoming really powerful. And and I expect that to be the case for robots that look like that. ABD has a, a product called a Yumi. It's very similar. Um, and so, you know, we definitely look at, at companies like Universal and, and say, yeah, you're, you're definitely onto something here. This is this is uh, lashed onto to something that, that's inspiring a lot of people. And so I'm a huge supporter of that, love that. Um, and, you know, we're friends with the, the Universal distributor here uh, out on the West Coast. And... But I think all that, comma, but um, I think we're also coming from a background on the control side where building advanced safety capabilities into industrial machines is something that we're very comfortable with. And BNR as a platform has been really a pioneer of, I, I would say for a long time, like five or 10 years ago, we would talk about, hey, you can, you can build a programmable safety system and you can build all the all some really interesting powerful technology for getting operators deeper into your machines for getting operators able to interact with your machines without hitting any keeping the throughputs extremely high right um, mm -hmm. making so it someone can walk through an entire cell and the safety system is aware of where they are and can either stop different pieces of equipment or move different parts of the machine at safe enough speeds where a person can get out of the way in a certified way, in a safe, in a legitimately safe way. Right? That's something that we're very comfortable with coming from the, the PLC and, and safety control side. And so to put that together with a product like that would normally be considered a conventional robot, it has a huge payload, it has a huge reach. It's It's the robot exactly that you're thinking of that's shooting sparks and welding car bodies together in our mind there's no reason that robot can't be collaborative as well 
because if you augment it with an, with safety systems, if you're using area scanners, if you're using mats, and there's ways to safely establish where humans are and have them being interacting with machines in a way that's very, very flexible. Uh, we have a robot in our in the middle of our workspace in Portland that it doesn't have cages built around it. It just has area scanners. So if if a human or if anything comes in with range where a robot could where the robot could reach it, the robot is certified to run below a safe speed. And that's enough to make the robot collaborative, um, even though it can move at four meters per second, even though it can swing a payload of 40 kilograms around it. So I, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities there where, uh, you know, that heavy industrial, that high throughput, super high speed can be made collaborative. And um, that's where a lot of our attention is going right now because of, you know, the software and the safety capability is there to do it. Um, there's no reason why this robot that can that can swing 500 pounds around shouldn't be able to have an operator walk up right next to it and, and not be uh, scared or not be in danger. Um, and when you can do that, I feel like it opens up a lot of new possibilities for, for cell layouts, for productivity, for ways of controlling robots where the humans are right up, right up next to it. Their, their heads right, right down next to the tool point and that's, that's safe. Um, I, we're really excited about that capability because it's putting together kind of high performance, high throughput, high speed, high payload together. But, but operating in a safe way very close to humans. And there's a lot of interesting technology that's that's coming out that, that's in support of that that trend as well. I'm jumping back now to my, my point sure. about uh, robots not being good at non-repetitive tasks. Um, do, do you see that changing at all with um, you know machine learning and AI starting to, to find its way into industrial applications or, or have you thought about that yet? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the analogy that I would sometimes use is if the process is like a, uh, this might this might this might age me or or put me within a certain range, but I just imagine <laughs> like a a cassette tape, and if you hit play on the cassette tape, and that's that basically could describe your robot process. You, you're probably missing some opportunities for flexibility. Yeah. You're probably missing some opportunities to be making decisions, defining behaviors, uh, responding to what's actually happening with the cell or with the product or with the variability in what you're doing, like. If a if if a cassette tape could work, then you're not you're you're missing something, right? Um, or there there could be more opportunities. Um, even car body welding, you know, car different cars are coming down the line these days. Every from car to car, you know, so that's not even enough anymore for for I think those kind of contexts. Um, and so yeah, making machines that are capable of consuming information from other systems, right? That could be a machine learning system, that could be a vision system, that could be a system that's looking at, you know, a stack of boxes and saying, where are the division between the boxes? Because this pallet is completely random and I need to be able to unpack it, right? Um, all of those, the way that a robot moves, the way that a robot plans and makes decisions in terms of pick, you know, I'm going to pick up this and I'm going to pick up this, then I'm going to pick up this. Like those are all really valuable problems to, to figure out. But there, you know, the, the cool thing, like I mentioned earlier at the start of the conversation was there's physical limitations in the world. So how a robot moves, where a robot moves, if you don't know that ahead of time, uh, it can be tricky. There, there are these mathematical things called singularities. You don't want to be running your robot through them. So how do you avoid them? What do you do so that if it tells you to pick up a box, right, at what would be the center of a singularity point, you probably don't want to do that. So 
having that flexibility, uh, it, it, it can be tricky. What's really interesting and what we get really excited about is the degree to which all of this technology that's being developed, it really does all plug together. And whether you're making machines or we're in the context where we're, we are making machines and the machines are made of computers. Well, computers can also are, can also run technology that has been developed for video games. Computers can also run user interface technology that comes from websites. And these are both areas where just billions and billions of dollars have been spent on making the coolest stuff possible. And there's no reason why it can't be used in machines, right? It all plugs yeah. together because everything is made of computers now. And so that's what's really exciting is to kind of look in our peripheral vision and finding something from a different space or bring it across from a place where it's considered to be normal or taken for granted even, that is really powerful. And there are development techniques, there are software tools, there are a lot of things that I think would be taken for granted or, or not even considered state of the art in the world of software where if you can get them across that that chasm, if you can get them across that bridge to, to industrial space, you can have a huge impact. So a, a question I get a lot is why would I use BNR instead of, you know, X, Y, or Z controller? What, what's your answer to that question? My answer to that question is, is everything that I've said so far. If you're going to use, uh, if you're going to use a BNR controller exactly the same way that you would use a different platform that didn't have as distinguished technology and capability and performance then and that's the only thing you're changing yeah we first of all i'm sure we could be more cost effective for one thing but that's usually not enough to justify in those cases if yep. someone's unsure about that it's because the, the the foundation of the question is i don't understand how this is different i don't understand what i what i would stand to benefit from using something different and and um Oftentimes, at that stage of the conversation, it's just hard to get that across. I think that they can be very distinctive. I think there can be very good reasons, and there are important differences. What would you say your favorite thing about BNR, you know, as a company is, or maybe like your favorite product? What's something that like really gets you excited? What gets me excited about BNR is the the pattern that the stuff that we work with is really ahead of the industry and it's been that way for a really long time and so if you want to see what a lot of big brands will be touting five years from now you can just look at what bnr is doing right now and if you go back through the history uh one example that i i know that you know not and it changes it changes over time uh, a couple examples that come to mind are, this is before my time, but BNR came out with a digital network servo drive that was running on Ethernet. No one was doing that. That was totally revolutionary. And now if you look at that, of course, that's how everything works now. And if you look at safety, if you look at the entire idea of having an integrated tool that combines a PLC and an HMI and a motion controller and a safety controller, that's something that a lot of companies nowadays will try to say that they have and you know maybe we could argue about the you know well they're not quite doing it exactly right but, but they say that now there, there was a time 10 years ago where that was unheard of and you could go into a meeting and say hey see it does all these things together you don't have to spend your all your engineering time just getting these four devices to, to coordinate with each other 
you can actually make your machine, you can spend that time making your machine a better machine. And that was amazing, right? And so now everybody talks about it that way. And uh, if you if you look at stuff that BNR is doing with, with track technology and some of these new concepts that they're coming up with, the hard t the hardest part of that actually is being being on that cutting edge is a lot of times people will look at it and say, I don't get it. You say, well, just let it sink in for five years and then everybody will be talking about it. So, so it's <laughs> the, it, and, you know, again, bad on us maybe for not, not being able to, to, to help people see it sooner. But uh, I know that if I keep working with BNR, I know that if I make an investment in the BNR platform as I have, right, founding a company and working with BNR for 15 years, that it's not just a one off thing. Hey, I love this product, right? Well, you know, a lot of people will have that product or that won't be such a big deal five or 10 years from now, but to work with a company that's constantly coming out with new technology that is revolutionary is really, really cool. And uh, so if you're, you know, if you're getting bored with what you have or you feel like competitors are catching up, we'll just, you know, there's probably something in the pipeline at BNR that's, that's, that's coming out next that uh, is, is going to be revolutionary as well. And that's something that a lot of, people that have worked with BNR for a long time really do appreciate and it's it's relevant to their machines it's it comes from that collaboration with their with their clients and really responding to those needs so i that's it's a big picture thing but that's what's really cool about it and you can you can go down this this long timeline of of revolutionary things that BNR does that's because that's what's at their core that's what's at the core of BNR is is the ability to do that that's really special talking about loop then what what excites you about what you guys are doing right now and where you're headed in the future. What excites me about what we're doing now is that it doesn't, a lot of days it doesn't feel like work because it's like playing with toys. Um, there's so many fun things to put together and new ideas to come to, to come up with. And, um, you know, sometimes your, your ideas turn out to be not that great <laughs> after all, but there's so many <laughs> possibilities to experiment with. And the ones that make it through that are the ones that, that do turn out to be really powerful. Um, they end up helping the company grow. They 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 end up making making our company very successful. So um, there's just so many possibilities that it's just the harder part is just uh, not not getting too carried away or or uh, finding a way to build a company sustainably uh, while while doing that at the same time. But to me, it's it's like there's so much uh, cool stuff to play with. It, and I say play intentionally because it doesn't it doesn't feel like work a lot of time. So something else that I noticed that you guys do a lot of is you have a really, I assume you have a really strong marketing team. Um, I, I, I see your, your videos pop up on, on LinkedIn and I'm sure anybody that you know goes to take a look at you guys can, can really get a feel that, um, you know, branding and, and marketing is important to you. Why is that important and why is that, you know, such a, a part of your culture? Well, thank you. Uh, and I said it earlier in the conversation that I feel like the core of our company has has been has been that for a long time. And what it's taken us more than a decade to learn how to do is to have that capture that and have it look that way from the outside. Because if you go back in our history, we were excited about the same things, we had a lot of the same processes. Uh, a lot of the same ideas have been there for the longest time about how should you run your company, what's the right fit kind of customer, what are the cool opportunities. These are all things that are have been steady, but it hasn't 
we haven't been that good at expressing ourselves because we are engineers. We're we're making we're people that make machines. We're not marketing people. We don't know how to capture that in a brand. Um, and and in the last couple of years, uh, it was it was really a couple of years ago where where you know in trying to grow the company, and to be honest, in in my opinion, failing to really connect with people. Uh, and so we would go into a meeting and we might talk excitedly for an hour or two and then we would come out and people would say, I have no idea what they were just talking about <laughs> because they seem excited, but I don't, I don't get it. And so what I learned was by, by collaborating with people who are marketing experts is there are ways, you know, th there's effective ways to collaborate with people who can help you put what you're excited about into words, help you put what you're excited about into images, help you put what you're excited about into video. And so I've learned and I've stolen so many ideas from people who are good at those aspects and, and brought them into the company because we think what we're doing is really important. We're really excited about it and we need to learn how to express it in all those ways. If we do that, if we're successful at that, then people who relate to that or people who are saying, you know, people are peers or people who have a kinship on those kind of values, uh, whether that's a customer or a supplier or a potential employee, people that see that and relate to it and are also excited about it are going to appear as if by magic, right? <laughs> and it's really, really cool uh, when when people say that. And, you know, again, I, I don't assume that what we do is going to be appealing to everybody. What's important to me is it's appealing to the people who we want to work with, the people who would be great customers for us, who we'd have great relationships with, Um and and so figuring out how to kind of blast that out into the world uh, is is something that's been a, a a key effort in the last couple of years a question that some of the listeners may have i know it's it's something that's been bouncing around my head what inspired you to start uh, your own company and, and what was that journey like and do you have any advice for anybody out there in the automation world or otherwise um, that, that may be considering a, a similar path I should put into context what happened that resulted in this company being started, which sure. was, I mentioned I worked for uh, an automation distributor, another company, and now I work for this company. So what happened there? Um, what happened was that company uh, was acquired. The owner of that company sold it to a larger company. And anybody who's been involved in acquisitions knows the the good and the bad and the drama and this kid that can result. and I think um, I was 25 at the time. My my co-founder, business partner, still to this day, Carl Robrock, was I think 28, maybe 27. And so I would say two things I would give big credit to. Um, one, having very little to lose. Uh, at that time, um, you know, I was making what I was making as an applications engineer, and I figured, you know, if I try this and it fails after a year, then I could probably take that experience and get a much better job than I ever had before. <laughs> because I would explain, I tried to start a company and it failed, and here's what I learned. And then, hey, guess what? Um, that was uh, a better education than I could have gotten from business school. Um, and even though, you know, age is a factor, you know, so where where are you in your life is a factor. I I would say similarly. There can be an aspect of that wherever, whatever point in your life you are, uh, which is I can experiment with this, I can try this, and the downside scenario is the the worst case scenario is completely acceptable uh, because hey I, I've kind of got nothing to lose right or like and, and so if you can engineer a way 
to make an experiment that you can run where if it doesn't work, no big deal. Um, you know, that that's that's a good way to be. Cause then if it keeps going, you're like, hey, cool, I can keep doing it. For the longest time I said it we're successful because we're still a company. Um, and that was because, you know, we were balancing this. Yeah, we didn't, we only had so much income, but we, you know, we just kept it small and we grew it over time. Um, we didn't take any, you know, any funding or any, well, I mean, with a couple, you know, friends and family kind of things, uh, which is, which would be typical, again, point of privilege, uh, thanks to everybody who helped us in the beginning. Um, but that's something where even now we do experiments in our company and the experiments that we run, they're not putting the company at risk, but the ones that work are really powerful. The ones that, that, that break through uh, end up growing the company and, and being really, really important. And so keeping the bets small enough to, to lose is something that you can do over a long period of time. And, and that's why 12 years into the company, um, you know, I say for the longest time, we were, we were just taking over the world slowly. Uh, because we were just, as long as what we're doing, as long as we can keep making bets, as long as we can stay alive, then we can keep trying new things, making changes. Um, even, you know, it's not always the same if you're, you know, right out of engineering school or you're, you know, you're, you're a certain, you don't have kids or you don't have debt or you don't have any of these other things that are holding you back. But I'd say at any point, what, regardless of your situation, there can be an opportunity to say, you know, what, what experiment could I run that, that I could, I could tolerate losing? You know, and, and if you keep doing that, um, you can you can kind of stack stack things up from there. So that's if I had a, le a business lesson, that that would be a uh, sometimes things really pay off and then you can grow faster. Great. Anything else you want to say about automation or about Loop? Um, maybe plug the, the Loop website where people can find out more about you guys. Absolutely. I'm very proud. I, I talked about some of these branding concepts in a, in a high level way. We just launched our new website. It's at loop.team, L-O-U-P-E dot T-E-A-M. And yes, team is a high-level domain. Team is what we are, so we're loop.team. Nice. Uh, you can check out a lot of our media is there, videos are there. You can see what our workspace is like, what our culture is like, our values. These are all things that we figured out how to talk about, and we're really proud of, of sharing with the world. If it sounds uh, interesting to you, uh, we'd love to talk to you, collaborate with you, whoever you are. So uh, LinkedIn is a, is a really big thing for us. So follow us on LinkedIn, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, again, my name is David Nichols, uh, send, me a, send me a LinkedIn invite. And if you don't know me, then you send me a LinkedIn invite, then we will know each other and I will accept it. So uh, look forward to meeting anybody who uh, is interested in collaborating with that. Awesome, well, thanks David. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to chat with me and uh, I'm sure this will be a, a valuable uh, conversation to people for people to uh, listen into. So, Likewise. Thank you very much, Corey. It's been a lot of fun. In future episodes, we're going to be diving into more exciting topics and common questions and automation. Uh, coming up, we've got some episodes on machine vision, a special episode on robotics, um, a couple other exciting things coming down the pipeline, more special guests, special topics, etc. You want to make sure that you keep an eye out for those by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, let us know by either sending David a LinkedIn message or uh, <laughs> leaving a review and a comment on Apple Podcasts. If you want to get in touch with me, have an idea for the show, or just want to chat, you can uh, get in touch with me on LinkedIn or email me at automationpodcast at gmail.com. 
make sure you check out the BNR website and YouTube channel by searching BNR Automation. Um, and of course, check out the guys at Loop as well. They have some great content. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on This is Automation.